Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Our scripture lesson today comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through it. A man was there named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was short in stature. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him because Jesus was going to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So Zacchaeus hurried down and was happy to welcome him. All who saw it began to grumble and said, He has gone to be the guest of one who is a sinner. Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, Look, Half of my possessions, Lord, I will give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay back four times as much. Then Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek out and to save the lost. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Cecilia Ridgway is a sociologist and a retired professor from Stanford University. Her entire career was spent studying status, that ancient and universal concept that so deeply influences our everyday lives and relationships that most of the time we're not even aware of it. Ridgway talks about status as the water we swim in, something that impacts us intimately and endlessly, but which we rarely think about consciously. When we do think about status, though, we know that we want it, right? Think for a minute about how status gets communicated and attached to the car you drive, the smartphone you have, the schools you attended or send your children to. Status is one way that we get access to resources and privileges that are both tangible and intangible. The search for and securing of status is the water we swim in and the current that carries us through life. And perhaps not surprisingly, Ridgway's research has shown that differences in status correlate with significant disparities in health, wealth, and well-being. Exposing our unconscious assumptions about status, who has it, who doesn't, who's in, who's out, who's up, who's down, exposing these assumptions seems to be one of Jesus' primary goals especially in the Gospel of Luke. From Luke chapter 10 through chapter 19, Jesus is on the road, healing, teaching, praying, 
and taking every opportunity to expose people's obsession with status and to disrupt their ideas about who is worthy of honor and respect and compassion. It is near the end of this journey season that Jesus encounters Zacchaeus, someone whose status was determined, as all of ours are, both by his physical appearance, he was short, his wealth, he was rich, and his profession. As a tax collector, Zacchaeus represented the Roman government, an oppressive occupying force that showed little care for the people in its territories other than what resources it could extract from them. Tax collectors also had a reputation for skimming off the top, and as such, they were synonymous with sinners. For all these reasons, Zacchaeus was looked down on by his community with a mixture of hatred and contempt. Maybe that's one reason why Zacchaeus, a grown man, climbs a tree to catch a glimpse of Jesus when he can't see him because of the crowd. Most adults would probably hesitate to do such a thing in public. We think of tree climbing as a child's activity, but Zacchaeus doesn't seem to care. Maybe because his reputation is already well-established and well-tarnished. But Zacchaeus's perch in that tree means that when Jesus passes by, he looks up at someone everyone else looks down on, which is our first clue that things here might not be what they seem. A colleague of mine who's in youth ministry made up a youth group game called Angels and Devils. It works like this. Someone from the group volunteers to be blindfolded and to take off their shoes to navigate an obstacle course of things you do not want to step in with bare feet, like a pile of ice cubes or sopping wet bread. Helping the volunteer through the course is someone who's assigned to be an angel. Their job is to provide guidance, like step to the left, to the left, so that the, the one going through the course doesn't step in the icky stuff. Not so helpful is the person assigned to be a devil, who gives bad advice to get the person to step into as much of that stuff as possible. Now, the angel and the devil are chosen in total silence after the volunteer has been blindfolded. So that person has to sort out which person is playing which role. After the course has been run a few times, the group gathers and talks about what it was like to play those various roles, including being the silent bystander and how people's behavior in different roles affects how they're viewed. One young person reflected on the experience of being a particularly effective devil in one round and then being assigned to be the angel in the next. The blindfolded person in the second round had been a helpless bystander in the first round, and she simply could not trust that this person was now an angel trying to help her rather than a devil seeking to steer her in the wrong direction. As my colleague puts it, this game offers a vivid dramatization of some of the least helpful behaviors we're prone to in Christian community. 
Most, if not all of us, have some category deep in our psyches for sinners. When pressed, we'll say, well, we're all sinners, or Christians aren't perfect, we're just forgiven. But on some level, we're tempted to put some people in a special category. She calls them those people. Those people are the ones committing the really bad sins, by which we usually mean the sins we like to think we are not tempted to do. Those people are so far beyond the pale, they just don't belong with the rest of us, at least not until they demonstrate repentance. And we mean, though we don't say, that they repent according to our satisfaction. She concludes, It's a tragedy. Our preconceptions about those people prevent us from seeing them for who they really are. This fixation with other people's sin is one of the ways status operates. Once we've decided we know where somebody belongs on the various rungs of the status ladder, it's hard for us to imagine or accept that they could act in ways contrary to the box we've put them in. When Jesus looks up at Zacchaeus to announce he's coming over to stay at his house, the crowd immediately begins grumbling. After all, they know who Zacchaeus is. He's an irredeemable sinner. Our translation of this story reinforces this idea. After the crowd begins grumbling, we read that Zacchaeus says to Jesus, half of my possessions, Lord, I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay back four times as much. As if only now that Jesus is coming to his house, Zacchaeus has decided to right his wrongs, to repent. But if we look at the original language of this text, we discover it is in the present tense, not the future tense, suggesting that Zacchaeus' action is both current and ongoing, as if he says, half my possessions I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I pay it back four times as much. This isn't something he will now do. It's something he's already doing. Could it be that Zacchaeus is more complicated than his hopeless sinner status suggests? Could it be he doesn't fit neatly into the box into which his community has put him? And could it be that Jesus knows this, and by choosing to go to Zacchaeus' house, is inviting the rest of his community and us to question our assumptions? The translation of Zacchaeus' comments into the future tense makes this a redemption story, a story we love to tell and to teach to children because it is so straightforward. When you do everything you can to see Jesus and then Jesus singles you out, you will also see clearly your sins and repent and be forgiven. It's not a bad interpretation. It's just overly simple. 
And if we hang out with Jesus long enough, we learn to question any conclusion that is too neat or straightforward. Because we're all more complicated than we appear to be. In a 1964 magazine profile of Bob Dylan, who was already famous at just 23 years old, the author relates a conversation he had with Dylan. I agree with everything that's happening, but I'm not part of no movement, Dylan told him. If I was, I wouldn't be able to do anything else but be in the movement. It's like politics, he went on. I just can't make it with any organization. I fell into a trap once when I agreed to accept an award at the Americana Hotel in the Grand Ballroom. As soon as I got there, I felt uptight. First of all, the people with me couldn't even get in. They looked even funkier than I did, I guess. They weren't dressed right or something. Inside the ballroom, I got really uptight. I looked down and saw a bunch of people who had nothing to do with my kind of politics. I looked down and I got scared. They were supposed to be on my side, but I didn't feel any connection with them. Here were these people who'd been all involved with the left in the 30s, and now they were supporting civil rights drives. That's groovy. But they also had minks and jewels, and it was like they were giving the money out of guilt. I got up to leave, and they followed and caught me. They told me I had to accept the award. When I got up to make my speech, I couldn't say anything by that time but what was passing through my mind. They'd been talking about President Kennedy being killed, and I had to say something about Lee Oswald, his assassin. I told them I'd read a lot of Oswald's feelings in the papers, and I knew he was uptight. Said I'd been uptight too. So I'd understood a lot of his feelings. I saw a lot of myself in Oswald, I said, and I saw in him a lot of the times we're all living in. And you know, they started booing. They looked at me like I was an animal. They actually thought I was saying it was a good thing Kennedy had been killed. That's how far out they are. I was talking about Oswald. And then I started talking about friends of mine in Harlem, some of them junkies, all of them poor. And I said, they need freedom as much as anybody else. And what's anybody doing for them? He went on, I was supposed to be a nice cat. I was supposed to say, I appreciate your award, and I'm a great singer, and I'm a great believer in liberals, and you buy my records, and I'll support your cause but I didn't, and so I wasn't accepted that night. But those people at that dinner were the same as everybody else. They're doing their time. They're chained to what they're doing. The only thing is they don't want to jeopardize their positions. They've got their jobs to keep. There's nothing there for me, and there's nothing there for the kind of people I hang around with. At this point, Dylan sank back exhausted and concluded, People talk about trying to change society. All I know is that so long as people stay concerned with protecting their status, protecting what they have, ain't nothing going to be done. Oh, there may be some change of levels inside the circle, 
but nobody's going to learn anything. After his encounter with Jesus, I imagine Zacchaeus might have said as wearily as a young, disillusioned Bob Dylan, people think they know exactly who I am. But that's not the whole story. Jesus knows there's more to Zacchaeus than his height or his wealth or his profession. And Jesus knows there is more to us. Jesus doesn't just invite himself to Zacchaeus's house. He invites himself to our house, to our table. Not because of our status, whatever that may be, but to remind us that no matter how society has labeled us, no matter how we have labeled ourselves, we are first and foremost beloved children of the living God. And God has no interest whatsoever in status. God breaks down the boxes we get stuck in and invites us to say to each other, I'm more than who you think I am. God creates a place where we can tell a bigger, more complicated story, a story of worthiness and forgiveness, of mercy and love. Jesus says to that grumbling crowd, today salvation has come to this house because Zacchaeus too is a son of Abraham, a child of God. And I have come to seek and save the lost, to restore all people to the beloved community. Every one of us, no matter who we are, where we've been, where we're going, every one of us is a child of God. And Jesus invites us to join him in building this community of God's beloved where status loses all meaning because the only water we are swimming in is the love of the living God. Amen.